Welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. We gather to feel better about ourselves, but we are encountering you in new ways every time we gather. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said, Amen. All right. Uh, like I just prayed, I've got a lot of thoughts rolling around in my head and my heart. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure how today is going to come out. And so these are the days it's always nice to have two services. Because if it doesn't go so well this time, I still got another crack at the 11 o'clock service. That's not true. Um, I just know that God wants to say and to do something today. And so I'm just going to talk to you from my heart. We're going to look at some scriptures together. I remember, today we're going to call our message, Keeping Your Eye on the Ball. Keep your eye on the ball. I remember almost four decades ago, and I think Steve may remember this because I've known Steve about that long. Uh, We had an awesome church picnic one time, all the way down at Number 3 Road at McDonald Park. Who knows where McDonald Park is? The very end of Number 3 Road You go straight past, you go over the overpass, and you're at the river. And we had this amazing uh, church picnic. And as you do at church picnics, invariably, you end up playing softball or baseball. I must have been seven, maybe eight, maybe even nine years old. And so we're out there playing baseball, and it's all the adults, and they're, you know, because... The adults want to have a real game, and they're like, no, no kids should play because the kids get in the way. They, they're going to get hurt. Somehow I got, I, I got to talk my way in. We got to play it in this game as well. I'm in this game, a little kid. Some grown adult hits like a pop fly. Ball goes sailing in the air. And me and my seven-year-old uh, age try to catch this ball And I'm standing there, and I lose the ball. I can't see it. I don't know where it's coming from. It's flying through the air. And out of nowhere, suddenly, I'm smacked right in the face with this softball. I start bawling. I'm, like, crying. All my cool is gone. If you even have cool at seven or eight or nine years old. I just, like, I I was demoralized. I'm crying. I can remember everybody gathering around me, everybody coming running, because, you know, a little kid just got hit in the face with a ball. So all these adults are running around me. They're all like, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm crying. I remember, this is the oddest part of the story. And as I've looked back on this story and thought about it years later, I still, to this day, think it was odd. This one older lady in our church, now honestly, probably at the time, she was maybe my age, but in my mind, she must, <laughs> in my mind, she was 85. And she came over, and I'm bawling. And I can feel her doing something with my hand, but I'm so, I'm so, like, focused on my face and what has happened with this ball. I'm just like, and she's like, there, there. And she's grabbing my hand. She's like, do you feel better now? Do you feel better now? And I'm like, yes, I feel better. I feel better. And then I stop crying. And then I look down, and she's put a pack of Smarties in my hand. Like she's trying to bribe me off from this pain. And I think after all these years, it must have been her that that hit that ball, and she felt bad about it. But I'm telling you this story because there is an unspoken rule in baseball that you don't take your eyes off the ball. We all know this, right? It's It's not a 
rule that people run around telling you because it's unspoken. Like you're playing a game where people are throwing balls. And so it's just kind of unspoken that you're always watching for the ball. And, and here's why I'm telling you this story. Because as we've been going through John, and we finished up John last week. Don't worry, everybody. It's not a surprise. We're not going back into John. We're not reprising John today. We're finished with John for the most part. But um, as we were going through John, I was reading and, and thinking a lot about how there were these early Christians that were waiting on Jesus to return. And then as you read through the rest of the New Testament, you find that these were all people who were fairly new, Jesus had just kind of ascended in some way, form, or shape. And these people were all new believers. They had all were Christians, new Christians. But they were all looking and waiting towards the return of Christ. They, they had their eye on the end prize. They had their eye on the ball. And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, man, I feel like a lot of believers have, have gotten our eyes off the ball. And, and, and we live in different ages there's been different ages through history. You know, there's been like the Iron Age and the Bronze Age and the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages. And then inside of those ages, there's other ages. There's been the ages of Renaissance and the, the age of enlightenment or the age of reasoning. We're in the modern age now, they call it. But Wednesday morning, early Wednesday morning, I was asleep. And it was kind of all night long. And I kept waking up, and I kept hearing in my heart, like it's like I could just hear this phrase over and over again. And it was the age of supernatural distractions. And I just, I, I just kept thinking about it. Like I'd, I'd wake up, and I'd be like, the, the age of supernatural distraction, the age of supernatural distraction, the age of supernatural distraction. And, and I feel like we live in a day and an age where by and large, many of us are supernaturally distracted with the things of this world, so much so that we've taken our eyes off of the ball, we've taken our eyes off of the king and his kingdom. You know, not like completely. Have you ever played a basketball game or a baseball game with someone who's in the game, but they're not really in the game? Like they may be standing on the court or they're standing on the field somewhere, but, you know, the game is going on over here and they're out in left field and they're kind of like their hands are in their pocket. They don't even have their glove on their hand. They're standing on the grass, but they're not ready. If a pop fly came their way, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, i got to get my glove on. The ball's coming and it's coming so fast and they're not ready for it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I just wrote down some things that I feel like maybe just like a little list of things that maybe some of us are supernaturally distracted with. Now, as I go through this list, I want you to think about these things because these things that I'm going to list are normal life things, things that we all have to deal with and go through to some extent. But I feel like what is happening is the enemy has come in and tried to supernaturally distract us with all these life things. So that we get so busy in our everyday life, in our everyday doings, that we quit looking towards Jesus and his purposes and his plans. I feel like many of us have become supernaturally distracted with our marriage or even our spouses. 
where our whole life becomes about our marriage or our whole life becomes about pleasing our spouse or not making our spouse angry. And listen, you need to think about your marriage. You need to think about your spouse. But thinking back about John's final address in chapter 5, verse 21, where he said, remember he said, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. I think what the enemy is trying to do with his sly, slick ways is to make so many people so distracted by everyday life that before we know it, we've made these normal things idols and gods in our life. And in doing so, we've exalted our marriages, or we've exalted our kids, or we've exalted our jobs, or we've exalted uh, our ministry, we've exalted social media, we've exalted all these things that we deal with higher than the Lord in our life. And we become so consumed with looking at these things. Maybe we become consumed with our houses and our homes. I got to get a home. How am I going to buy a home? The economy's crazy. Maybe we're consumed with the economy. Maybe we're consumed with gas prices. Maybe we're consumed with how am I going to drive from point A to point B because gas is so high. And suddenly all you, think you find yourself thinking about is the economy. Maybe you are consumed with finances. Maybe you are distracted with the future and thinking about what does the future look like in my life. I have to plan for the future. I've got to have everything laid out. Point A, point B, point C, point C, point 1, point 1, point 2, a point C. Subset of C, point 1, point 2 is C dash 1.2, addendum A. Maybe some of us have got distracted and just say, I need to have fun. I just need to have fun in my life. I'm too serious. And so now I'm so distracted in my life by having fun. Maybe your health. Maybe politics. Maybe politics consumes your life. Maybe you're a social media warrior. And you're going to save the world, you alone, by your post on Facebook. <laughs> You've got the cure. You've got the answer. And you're going to tell the world about it. Maybe you do, but is it consuming you? Is it distracting you from your relationship with Jesus? Is your answer for the world on Facebook drawing you away from time with him? Is it keeping your eye on the ball and what he is saying and doing? Or is it you creating your own ball game and inviting him to come play with you? I want to tell you what distraction means from our best friend Noah Webster in his great 1828 dictionary. If today's your first day here, I just want to tell you we love Noah Webster and his 1828 dictionary. You're going to hear from it a lot. Distraction is this. Confusion from a multiplicity of objects crowding on the mind and calling the attention different ways. Uses a big word here. I'm going to tell you what this big word means in a second. Perturbation of mind. Perplexity. 
as the family was in a state of distraction. Perturbation comes from the word where you are perturbed. Perturbed just means that you are worried, you are upset, and you are concerned. So if we're living in an age of supernatural distraction, if the enemy is coming trying to supernaturally distract us from things, what he is trying to do is bring confusion from many things in your world and your sphere that are crowding in on your mind, causing you to lose focus. What is the opposite of being distracted? Being focused. I looked up focused. Because why wouldn't I? <laughs> We've gone this far. Why don't we just take one more step down the road? Focus means a central point, a point of concentration. The enemy wants to come into your life and cause you to be so scattered, so worried, so concerned, so fixated on so many other things that you lose your ability to focus on what matters. And let me tell you something. When you lose focus in a ball game, it's only a matter of time before you get smacked dead in the face with the pop fly. It is a calculated risk that at some point you will get hit by a ball if you take your eyes off that ball. Let's look at some scriptures. We've got 17 minutes left. I'm going to show you today how I can stick in my 30-minute time frame. We went over the last two weeks, but that's because we preached a whole chapter in those last two weeks each week. So I felt like I was allowed some leeway. Go with me to Matthew chapter 24. We got four passages of scripture that we're going to look at in the next 17 minutes. And I pray that as we look at these, the spirit of God reveals truth and life to you. And that you see yourself in his plan and in his kingdom. And that if you see yourself as we look at these, if you realize that you have taken your eye off the ball, yes, you are still in the game technically, but you've taken your eye off the ball, then it is my prayer this morning that you allow him to speak to you and that you put that glove back on your hand and you make a conscious decision to say, man, I... Didn't realize it, but I have taken my eye off the ball, and I really need to be pay attention to what's happening around me and what the King of kings and Lord of lords is doing. Amen? Matthew chapter 24. We're going to read these first 14 verses. We're just going to go through them. Jesus is talking about the future. He's talking about the end times. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you can look around, and we are in some form or shape of the end times. I don't know where exactly we fit into the end times, and the end times could last a long time. But we know that we are moving into the end times. And let me tell you this right off the bat. It is not a good time for you not to be paying attention to Jesus. It is not a good time for you not to be actively seeking him and listening to his voice in your life. Things are happening around the world that will eventually make their way over here and affect us. You can only turn a blind eye for so long and say, that is those people, it doesn't affect me. But there is coming a day 
probably sooner than later, will it will hit home and you will have to stand on the values that you hold true. So you need to begin to really take him and his kingdom seriously in your own life. Away from here on Sunday mornings, this is great, this is awesome, and this is important. But what matters a lot as well is when you go home from here, what happens between you and Jesus? Well, Brian, I'm having a lot of fun. Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings, but he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Hey, tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, I wanted to read this and another passage of Scripture so that you can see what Jesus said the end of the world is going to look like. Okay? It's important. If you want to know something, let's look and see what Jesus said about it. Okay, Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to YouTube. Don't go to TikTok. Don't go to your favorite preacher on Instagram. Go to Jesus and see what he says. Jesus says in verse 4, don't let anybody mislead you because there's a lot of people on social media who are going to mislead you. Many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Party time, everybody said. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Look at this, verse 12. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Many people will take their eyes off the ball and forget about Jesus and his kingdom. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Go to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to look in verse 26 and 30, and this is Luke's account of Jesus talking about this. And he says this, chapter 17, verse 26, he says, Jesus is still talking, he says, when the Son of Man returns... It's going to be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Noah's out there building his boat. They've never seen a boat before. Up to this point, there has never been a body of water on the earth. But this guy, this random dude is out here building it up. They all ignore what Noah is doing and keep going on with their parties. They're hanging out. They're having fun. They're going to weddings. They're like, woo, we're living our best life, doing whatever they want, living in sin, okay? He says, right up until the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business. Who remembers Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what he's talking about, okay? He said, uh, people went about their daily business. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building until the morning. Lot, 
left Sodom, then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Why am I reading this to you? Because I want you to see we're living in days and times like this where people are turning their eyes away from Jesus. When they are taking their eyes off of the ball, they're not focused on him and his kingdom. They're doing whatever they're wanting. And while they're doing it, they are supernaturally distracted where the enemy is coming in and saying, hey, look at this over here. Look at this over here. Don't pay attention to this. Come over here. Look, I got a shiny little toy over here I want you to play with. I got a shiny little toy over here. I'm going to ring my bell so you come pay attention over here. The enemy is at work distracting us so we take our eyes off of what is really happening, hoping that we lose our love and our passion and our faith in Jesus so that we don't become the people that he has called us to be. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen, you got off easy because we were just going through the book of John and we didn't have to turn to a bunch of passages in the Bible. Today we're exercising our biblical muscles and turning to different books in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe probably is every man's favorite passage in the Bible. I can tell by nobody laughing that you have no idea what 1 Corinthians 7 talks about. And if you really want to know, men and women, go read verses 3, 4, and 5. Go ahead, take a second right now in your Bible, if you had one, and read it and tell me if I'm wrong. We're going to start in verses 29. Who read it? Who read verse 3, 4, and 5? And am I wrong? It's awesome. For those of you who don't know what it says, you're going to have to wait and go look it up till you find a Bible or bring one to church because I'm not going to read it for you right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, okay, chapter 7 in context, the entire chapter is talking about relationships, marriages, uh, and Paul is writing the Corinthians um, because they have so many questions about Jesus coming back. So this was written in about A.D. 50, the book of Corinthians. Jesus left about 20-ish years earlier, ascended to heaven, and so it's been about 20 years, and these people are all waiting on the return of Jesus. Their eyes, their minds, their whole life is centered around Jesus is coming back. I am looking, I am waiting for Jesus to come back in his return. And so they are asking questions like, should I not get married? Should, if I am married, should I not have a wife anymore so I can focus on my relationship with Jesus? These are the kind of questions that Paul is answering for them because they're not sure what to do. Their mind is so set on the return of Christ that their whole life is being governed by it. And they're saying, what, what changes? What courses? What do I need to do to prepare myself for the return of Christ? So in verse 29, Paul is writing to them and he says this. Uh, let me say it this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. I want to remind you that we don't know when it's going to happen, but the Lord is returning. It is all through the New Testament. And Paul says right here that the time is very short. That's why we're admonished often to not grow weary in doing well. That's why we're reminded that we are travelers and pilgrims and strangers, that this isn't our forever home, that there is more beyond this, that there is eternal life. 
that we should live here and we have purpose here and there's things we're called to do here, but do not make this life your all in all. He goes on and says, So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. Paul was reminding these people that this isn't the end. So whatever you do here, live your life, buy what you need to buy, sell what you need to sell, get married, have kids, get a job, but all the while keeping your attention focused on Jesus, realizing that he is coming back for his bride, which is the church, and that includes you. And when he does, you are called to be a part of that. He wants you to be part of that. And so we are called to live a life every day where he is our focus, where we are not supernaturally distracted, where we are not so busy taking care of our kids, mowing our lawns, paying our bills, raising our grandkids, fighting with this person, making things right with that person, posting on social media, getting an education, going to work, going to bed, getting rest, staying healthy, making dinner. Those are all normal things that we have to do and you should do. But the biggest focus in your life should be Jesus. Let's go to one more passage of scripture. I can tell you guys are super jazzed about this, and uh, that's okay. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is another letter that Paul wrote, and he wrote this to the Ephesian church. And he says this, and we're going to go from verse um, 15 to 20. I'm going to read it first all the way through in the New Living Translation. I'm going to make a couple points out of it, and then we'll be done. So we're reading this because I don't want to leave you in a spot of, man, Jesus is coming back, and I need to get my act together. I want to take it a step further, and I want to say, here's what we need to do. Because I believe whenever we look in the word of God, there needs to be some kind of action, some kind of point where we can look at it and say, oh, this is how I fix this. This is how I remedy this. This is what I do to change this area in my life, right? I don't, I don't want to ever come and be like, we're all bad. See you later. I want to look at it and say, yeah, maybe we've gotten our eyes off the ball, and we're not looking at Jesus like we should be. But look at what this word says here. Look what this, this scripture says, and let's do this in our lives. And then let's watch and see what God does. Because he's a God of restoration. He's a God of reconciliation. He always has our best interest at heart. He always wants the best for us. 
Amen? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says, so uh, guys, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, and don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that's going to ruin your life. Don't be, don't be high on drugs. Don't be high on lust. Don't be high on critical acclaim. Focus on Jesus. Those things will ruin your life. He says, instead, be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And just a side note here, that, that word be filled, it's not a one-time filling. If you look it up in the Greek, the, the context of that word is be being filled, where you are continually filled with God's presence and God's spirit. Galatians 5 uh, verse 16 says, so walk in the spirit so you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And it's the idea of you are living this lifestyle where you are constantly filled with him and his spirit and walking in his spirit so that you are not overcome by the enemy in this world, where you are not distracted by the shiny little toys that he brings to you. So he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New King James says, basically, says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Have you heard that passage of scripture before? And I just want to break down those two words in the Greek real quick for you so that we understand, because here, the New Living, it, it does a good job of giving you the big picture. What it says here is, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And that's like the great big picture. But if you break down these words in the Greek, it even gives you a better picture of what he is saying. And so Paul says this, redeem is the Greek word um, uh, exagorazo, Okay. And it's a compound word, and it means to buy up, that is to ransom, uh, to rescue from loss, to improve the opportunity, to redeem. The word generally means this, to buy up, to buy all that is anywhere to be bought, and not allow the suitable moment to pass by unheeded, but to make it its own. Okay, hang on a second. I'm going to put this whole thing together. Time is the Greek word kairos, okay? And it's a season or an opportune time. That's very important, an opportune time. Say it with me, opportune time. Let's say it again. Opportune time. It's not merely a succession of minutes, which is called chronos in the Greek. Time in minutes is chronos. But it's a period of opportunity, okay? There's really no good English equivalent to the word kairos. It really means appropriate or opportune time, which when used in the plural applied with chronos, is translated as seasons at which foreordained events take place. So what this really means, and if you could really put this in perfect context of what Paul is saying, it says here, don't act thoughtlessly. And the New King James says, redeeming the time. What he's really saying is, what is this time for? 
What is this moment I have for? I don't want to spend it thoughtlessly. I don't want to waste this moment. I don't want to waste this time because it is an opportune moment that I have. So when I'm standing here talking to Landel, when I'm standing in the grocery store, when I'm sitting at my job and my coworker is talking to me, what is this moment for? That's what redeeming the time is. That is what you saying, well, I don't want to just waste these moments. I'm not just counting down until I can go home and chill out and eat dinner, watch TV, and go to bed. I am saying to myself, what does Jesus want to do? I'm actively involved in the game. I'm watching that ball, so I know where it's going, what my part is, and when the ball comes to me, I know what to do it. So when he says redeeming the time, what you're saying is, what is this time that I have here and now for? Stand up with me. I want you to close your eyes with me. Jesus, 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 Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you for revelation and understanding. I want you just to hold out your hands with me. Stretch them out however you want, however works best for you. If you can't hold your hand out, then put your hand over your heart. And I hope that as we were together today, looking into his word, the spirit of God was speaking And if while we were speaking, if while we were looking at his word, you could find yourself and you could see yourself and you saw yourself not redeeming the time, but simply counting down the moments that you realized that in your life, you are not saying, what's this time for? This, this finite time that I have on earth that God has given me, but I've realized that I'm not using this time the way that he would want me to, that maybe I have been supernaturally distracted by things. If that's you, I want you to raise your hands with me. And we're going to pray and refocus ourselves into the game. And I don't say game to say things lightly. I just say game in the sense of the analogy that we were talking about. Father, 
you see these hands and you see these hearts. And I thank you that you are speaking and moving. That you are revealing things to us. That that you are putting a burning hunger and desire on the inside of us to get back in the game. To get back in the game. Keep your eyes closed for a second. I just had this drop in my heart right now. There's somebody here there's somebody here that is sitting on the bench and you're watching the game you're watching the game and you're seeing how it's being played and you're seeing the players on the field and you want to be in the game so bad but you feel like there are things in your life that have caused you to have to be benched that have disqualified you from being able to walk on the field and join the game and so you're sitting on the sidelines and your heart is bursting because you say to yourself if I could just get on the field if I could just get on the field I know I know what I could do I know what God wants to do in me I know what God wants to do through me but you feel so disqualified and you're tore up on the inside about it. And God wants to say to you today that there is freedom from those things that you feel have held you back. There is deliverance from those things that you feel are keeping you on the bench. And he says, I want you to come into the game. It's my desire for you to walk onto the field to grab that ball and throw it. I want to work in union with you but it just requires you to lay those things from your past down once and for all. And to step in to what I have for you. I want everybody's eyes closed. Does anybody here feel like that was them? Everybody's got their eyes closed and it's just me looking. Father, I speak freedom to those hands in the name of Jesus, to those lives in the name of Jesus. I declare that what the enemy has intended for evil, that you will turn for good and that no lies from the past will keep us bound and chained, but we will walk forward in the freedom that you have called us to. And that we are lacing up, that we are lacing up our shoes and we are taking the field for you. That we're warming up our throwing arm, that we're putting on our gloves, that we're over there with that bat in the corner practicing our swings and we are taking the field for you. Father, I thank you for your spirit that breaks the yoke of bondage In the name of Jesus, we come out of agreement with the lies that have held us bound. We say they have no authority, they have no power, and they no longer have any hold over us in the name of Jesus. And some of you right now, with your own voice, need to say, 
I do not agree with those lies. I don't agree with that. In fact, I reject the lies of the enemy. Satan, you're a liar and you have no hold in my life. I'm taking the field. I'm taking the field. Say it with me. I'm taking the field. I'm keeping my eye on the ball. I will do all that God has called me to do. I will walk in all that God has called me to walk in. That no weapon formed against me will prosper in the name of Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have been made brand new. Come on, let's sing something. Let's worship together for a minute. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you are drawn closer to Jesus and that his spirit, his love, and his life are filling you right now. If you'd like more info about who we are and what we're doing at Hope City, head over to hopecitychurch.ca to find out more. And if you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and rate the podcast to spread the word so others can hear too. And oh, one more thing before we go. We just want to remind you that you were made for hope.